uh, encourage you to grab a hold of it. We're going to be sharing this morning from Matthew chapter 21. I want to encourage us to keep one another in prayer uh, for Louise, for Preston, for Anne. Uh, I want to, uh, I know as well, um, Angie's on the call this morning, not feeling well. Just it's, it's a challenging season, but let's continue to hold each other in prayer as the Lord brings each other to mind. The title that I've given the message this morning is Just Imagine. You know, I, I believe probably if there was any word I could give that I believe that we struggle with the most is a, is a struggle of imagination in, in understanding, both discerning the kingdom of God and what it's about, especially in the world that we're living in right now, that we're hearing things being said. We're trying to watch what's occurring. Violence, war, rumors of war, lack, uh, devastation, floods, rumors, and it's, it's such a challenge uh, for us to begin to have an imagination. What does it look like to be a follower of God and, and to be one who's anticipating to see his kingdom revealed in real time? And so, um, again, I, I just, it, and for one thing that I think the Church of the West has uh, struggled with is a struggle of imagination. Uh, it is, and, the, and here's the good news about this is that it's not a new thing. You remember it's uh, Jesus comes into the temple in Matthew 20, and there's this cleansing that, you know, we have it written down, but what happens is he, he removed barriers to those who worship. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And then he's asked this pointed question, by what authority do you do these things? And so Jesus is answering that question. We looked at that last week. We're going to look at it again this week. And again, I'm reading out of a, uh, what translation? The Passion Translation I have today. And it says this, pay close attention to this parable. That, that, re- that, that phrasing alone is probably why I grabbed this, cop- this, this particular translation. Pay attention. Um, there once was an honorable man who planted a vineyard. He built a fence around it, dug a pit for pressing the grapes, and erected a watchtower. Afterward, he leased the land to tenant farmers and then went a distant away. At harvest time, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the portion that was due him as the lord of the vineyard. But the tenants seized his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. So the landowners sent the servants even more than the first at first, but they were mistreated in the same way. Finally, he said, I'll send my own son. Um, finally, yeah, he sent his own son to them. And he said to them, perhaps with my own son standing before them, they will be ashamed of what they've done. But when the tenants saw the son, they said, this is the year. Let's kill him. And we can have the inheritance. So they seized him, took him outside the vineyard, and murdered him. You tell me, when the Lord of that vineyard comes, what do you think he will do to those tenants? Now, remember, Jesus is asking this of those who've asked the question about authority. They answered, he will bring a horrible death to those who did this evil, and he will completely destroy them. And then he'll lease his vineyard to different tenants who will be able, who will be faithful to give him the portion he deserves. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read the scripture that says, the very stone the builder rejected as 
flawed has now become the most important cornerstone. This was the Lord's plan. Isn't it marvelous to behold? This is why I say to you that the kingdom realm of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will bear its fruit. The one who comes against this stone will be broken, but the one on whom it falls will be pulverized. Amen, amen. I was uh, reading this last week. I have a couple of individuals that I enjoy reading, their blog sites. One of them is a, uh, she is a former pastor and uh, professor at a uh, seminary, and now she just uh, writes pretty much in her, quote, retirement years. Her name is Diana Butler Bass, and uh, she wrote something on October the 4th, which is St. Francis Day in the church calendar, St. Francis of Assisi. And she was talking about something that happened to her when she was a student in Santa Barbara in the 1970s. She went to a local theater that was putting out a double feature film. Now, those of us who grew up before there was streaming and you could sit and watch the same thing all weekend, uh, back in the day, we would have these moments where we would get a, quote, double feature, and it would be great. And so for the same price, you could go see two films. And so, you know, she said for students, it was especially popular because in that day you could get a Coke and a popcorn and a double feature for 10 bucks. It was great. So uh, that particular weekend, though, there was this odd double feature, My Fair Lady. Anybody ever seen that? 1964 coupled with Brother, Son, and Sister Moon, 1972. And, and she said, you know, for her fellow student friends, they were like, what is this? I mean, kind of this weird contrast, right? Um, what, what, you know, especially those who were religion majors were trying to figure out what is this. And, and, and the best they could come up with was probably accurate, which is the, you know, My, my Fair Lady, you had this rags sort of to riches tale. And then... In Brother, Son, Sister Moon, you have a Riches to Rags story. Now, um, probably pretty good. And now she goes on to say, whatever happened to Eliza Doolittle, the, the heroine who was lifted from a life of poverty to a genteel upper-class existence, after the final line of My Fair Lady, when Henry Higgins orders her to fetch his slippers? We don't know. Um truth is, I adored my fair lady, but the ambiguous ending always worried me. The moral of the tale, misogyny will always be with you. Now, the Francis film, this is, these are, this is Diana's words, about a wealthy man who 800 years ago abandons riches to pursue holy poverty ends with far more clarity. As one reviewer said it this way, the movie's humane presentation of brotherly love, so generous that it even forgives the Catholic Church, ends with the meeting of Pope Innocent III and Francisco, wherein the Pope blesses Francisco but supplicates himself before him. The final image of the film shows Francis with bare feet walking down a hill toward an open field, singing his canonical brother, son, and sister moon at 19. I went into the theater and at the end, no ambiguity here. I wept 
with the film drawing me into a vision and experience really an interconnected world, St. Francis' uh, passionate obsessions, poverty, humility, and creaturely care. It has haunted me ever since. And I, I was thinking about that, and, and I'm looking at this text, and, and questions that began to stir in me. I was thinking about that presentation, one that we actually portray and celebrate normally culturally, right? Rags to riches gets the headlines. But riches to rags, often we wag our head at or our finger. And so as I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about this text this morning, the questions that haunt me as I think about it, could it be that we still live in a world that lives by the wrong definitions of worth and of value? We need a new imagination. Could it be that we still hear and, and see the definitions of worth and value by power, privilege, and success? The answer, I believe, is an unequivocal yes. Could it be that the only thing that could heal a broken life, oh, God, give us an imagination for this, a broken world is not found, not found in power, systems of power, larger armies to suppress another army, privilege. In our text, Jesus is replying to that question. By what authority do you do these things? First he tells the story of the two sons, the one who says yes, the one who says no. They, they, they do opposite of what they say. And then Jesus says, hey, here's, here's what the kingdom looks like. It's a reversal of the accepted understanding of both God and his kingdom. And then he tells this story of what we call the, the parable of the vineyard. In a world defined at that time and still defined today by authority and the broken systems of privilege and power, Jesus reveals his authority, and his authority is about restoration, beloved. It's about wholeness to a broken world, to broken people. It's about a place where the promise, the provision of the landowner is seen, is experienced, is known, and, and received, and that, beloved, is good news. Now, to be clear, in Matthew 21, an obvious reading of this text, we can come to this conclusion. God's the landowner, the servants are the prophets. Jesus is the, is the son. And the tenants, well, the tenants are God's people, the Jewish people to be exact. That's true, but it misses the point. And unfortunately, let me add to this, that there's some who have actually used this text to to give validation to their wrong conclusions like anti-Semitism is a very simplistic interpretation. It's not good. Jesus is answering, by what authority do you do these things? So when we look at both of these texts, 
you know, first the, the parable of the two sons, then we have the parable of the vineyard, and Jesus is answering this question, and he's speaking in the context of Roman-occupied Palestine. Hardly one individual who doesn't experience a day-to-day tangible um, uh, they, they, don't, they don't experience, there's not hardly one individual who isn't experiencing that sense of authority bearing down upon them, okay? Political, economic power that was ruling over them. So Jesus tells us this story. Yet the landowner, now, again, let's, let's pull back for a moment. You've got a landowner who comes, and he, does he need this piece of land? Well, from what we understand, he's actually probably a person who has a lot of wealth. So he comes and he takes a barren, non-fruitful piece of land. Jesus describes him as using his own resource to cultivate the land, to provide all that it needs, to put a, 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 a hedge around it, to put a press inside of it, all that it would need to become fruitful all that it didn't have on its own. Before, it's just a barren piece of land. So we have a landowner who takes of his resources, who takes of his own imagination and creativity and sees something that wasn't there before and allows something that could come into being that wasn't there before. And then he leaves. The tenants, they're put in charge to oversee the productivity of the vineyard, Essentially, that costs them nothing, right? Now, put it in the right context, they, they, they're paying the owner, which means the owner has let them live on this land and care for it for a number of years. It takes normally at least three years for there to be a, 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 any kind of harvest from a, vine, a, a vineyard. So the, the purpose of his... Uh, his sharing and his resources, his creativity primarily isn't just about accumulating more wealth. He set it up in this way in order that he's changing not only the story of the land, but of the people in the land. Oh, wait, this is starting to sound like another story, isn't it? The story of, of the gospel, of a God who takes of his resource to change the story because very specifically the goal of the landowner is not only to bring provision but to invite them into partnership with him. Oh, wait, this is the gospel. And even though he has an abundance of resources, he's willing to share it with others, with those who do not have resources. He's abundant in compassion because he sees those who are in need. So what we've noticed about the landowner is he's not just this heartless ruler of commerce. He's creative, he's generous, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's trusting. But after time, these tenants who've lived now on the land do something that, well, may not be too far off for us to miss to, to understand. They, they begin to live, and they're part of this land, and it becomes a part of their story, and they take ownership so much so 
that in their heart, in their mind, this is their doing. They don't have the deed, but in their heart, they have forgotten, dismissed, essentially eliminated the landowner from their heart, from their life. As far as they're concerned, this is my place. So when the owner sends slaves to collect shares of the produce, they attack him. They even beat and kill another. And, and it's here that we learn again something about the landowner. He doesn't. Have you ever noticed this? This is vile, the way the tenants treated his slaves in the story. And the landowner does something that you'd be like, who does that? He just sends another delegation of slaves, maybe a little bit bigger one this time. But he doesn't come, first and foremost, to vindicate the wrong committed to him. In fact, what we find in the story is he never commits himself to vindication. We learn something of the heart of God. When we have applied that revelation, that idea to God, that is what we have. We're actually like those who listen to Jesus. Curious, isn't it? I, I've read and I've heard readings of things like the book of Revelation where individuals begin to portray images of a God that you don't find anywhere in Scripture. Who, by golly, this time when he's coming... He's going to take heads off. But Jesus says, here is this landowner, and he's essentially describing God. And this doesn't make sense. It's not normal. He's not coming in vindication or vengeance. He's not revenge killing. Not, he's not revenge returning the same amount or coming to vindicate what's happened to him. But he sends these slaves and the same thing happens. So then he sends his son thinking in logic these thugs, maybe, maybe they'll respect the owner's son. But how foolish the tenants reason in their mind that I can lay hold of something that was never mine. Oh, wait a minute. Notice this. Write this down. The tenants are living from their desires. But also, the landowner is living from his desire and never moves from it. His desire to bring provision and partnership to the tenants. His desire to continue to invite them into partnership. Void of vindication because it's not who he is. And curiously, again, I, I alluded to this a minute ago, when Jesus then turns, he tells this story, and something rises up in those that are hearing it. Remember, they're asking about authority. When the landowner comes, what's, what's he going to do with these tenants? And, and the answer is obvious to those who are listening. He'll put those wretches to a miserable death. He'll lease the vineyard to another tenant, and he'll give the them their produce at that time. Now, that sounds normal. This landowner ain't normal. 
He doesn't think like I do. He doesn't operate like I do. He has a different idea about vengeance. And then here comes the punchline of the parable because Jesus gives a reply to their sure, correct, they were surely correct in their response when he says, this story, this parable was never about the vineyard. It, it was about the landowner, the heart of the generous, compassionate, merciful, gracious, long-suffering landowner who, who wanted to bring a dramatic shift in which, you see, God's, the landowner is building something different. He's revealing his kingdom upon the earth. He's inviting you into partnership with it so that something, there would be fruit born from your life, but it will require a change of heart. This is where authority will really be seen. It's going to require you to have a different imagination. That power isn't about how you express it over others, but power is revealed in mercy, in compassion. In grace, where heaven encounters the earth. So what have we learned about authority from these characters, from the parables of Jesus? It's God who has desired to bring his provisions to bear. Isaiah 5 tells the story. He says, you know, I'm, I'm the one. That, By the way, they should have known that when they started to hear this story. They're like, oh, I've heard this before, Isaiah 5. Oh, yeah. Uh, a song for the beloved of my, about my vineyard. I'm going to take it. I'm going to do all of this for it. I'm going to provide everything that I need. What is more that they're, that to, to do for the vineyard than what I have done for it? That's God saying, this is my heart toward you. The vineyard was never intended to be, by the way, as you have made it, a club that you belong to. It was never intended to be a, a place of exclusion. Oh, yeah, wait a second. He just got done talking about that and revealing it in his life when he said, get this stuff out of the way so that the blind, the lame men and women can come and worship because my house is supposed to be a, a place of partnership and provision. My house is a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. Do you see, do you see this, how those are all connecting together? So what we're learning here is that God is that... He takes of what he has in his generosity, in his compassion, and his goal is reconciliation. His goal is partnership. Even when he's experienced broken trust and betrayal, he never moves from that goal. Vindication, that's not his goal. His goal is wholeness. That will preach, beloved, to the ends of the earth. We need to preach it into our bones. He's calling his children back to life. They're mistreating him. He's still calling them back to life. What we learn about the tenants is how easy it is to take the invitation to partnership and make it about privilege and power and entitlement. Now watch this. To the point that they forget the vineyard was theirs. It's like they forget the whole purpose of the vineyard. Oh, wait, that sounds like something like I could preach about all day long. The broken systems of the day, the broken religious systems of the day that we could go and talk a lot about, right? See, whenever, I want to say this, when we lean into 
when we lean into privilege, power, those kinds of themes, it always leads to blindness of the truth. I, I, I believe that's a universal truth, always. When Jesus, well, notice this, when he's telling the story, essentially exposing the motives of his listeners, they are so blinded to their commitment to power and privilege that what comes out of them, when Jesus asked the question about the tenants, is what's in them. How should we treat them? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's how I see God. You see, when, when I hear individuals fomenting, angry inside of them, oh, wait, when I feel that in me, I wonder if it begins to expose the kind of God that I'm surrendered to in that moment. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? When, when we're leaned into that, it always blinds us to what's true. Jesus is telling a story plain as day. You got a landowner who he's not coming with vindication and vengeance, and yet what do they want? Vindication and vengeance. I want blood. Jesus is plainly telling the story of the God who is filled with mercy, who comes, and when he comes, it's not out of a demand for violence and for death. Our hearts, when we surrender our hearts to anything other than the love of God revealed in mercy and in grace and in compassion and our demand for power or for privilege, it will end in spiritual blindness, spiritual blindness toward our brother, spiritual blindness in our life, spiritual blindness in our understanding of the heart of God. We need a new imagination. Oh, God, I want to surrender again to fresh imagination. So Jesus is revealing this parable of a God who doesn't define freedom and wholeness as we often do, this zero-sum sort of game. Here's what I mean by that. In order for me to win, you have to lose. What if? What if? Love of God is enough for every heart. Freedom, life. And that's always been his goal. That has what he's given, what he's shared at his expense for our benefit. That's the gospel. Lord, let it soak deep into my bones again today. When I watch news reports, when I see something happen in my life and I want to rise up, Lord, I, I, want, I want to surrender again. Lord, I need a fresh imagination again. The love of God revealed in Christ in and through my life is enough here and now, yes. And, and so when he responds, may my conclusion be his conclusion. Oh, oh, wait a minute. It was never about the vineyard. It was about the kingdom of God where mercy and grace revealing wholeness and restoring and make whole, making whole lives of, of men and women all around me where the kingdom is not a reward for our work that we've earned, but a, a gift that was freely given. So I come back to that. Oh, wait, this aligns with what Jesus said when he said, he's not mad at the merchants. He's saying, guys, you're missing the point. This is a house of friendship. I'm inviting everyone in. See, it's interesting. I, I, when I began to first read this text, I was like, oh, 
You know, there's this obvious application. You know, God's the landowner, and they ignored the servants and the prophets and them. And See, it's easy for us to stand behind the text and to wave our fingers at Jesus' listeners. Or dare we say even to the others around our lives culturally? But can we listen to Jesus' words and allow them to confront our constructs and the constructs of our imagination and say, Lord, I want to I surrender again. I, I want a fresh imagination, a reversal of what actual authority looks like in my life from systems of influence and power and privilege to grace and to mercy. Can I imagine a God, a Father, so creative, so patient, that he, he never has to reach for vengeance? So no wonder he would say, if someone strikes you on your right cheek, that's not just suck it up. He's just not trying to wait till you get the, you know, face slap badge. He, he's, he's encouraging us. There's something stronger that we can surrender to, the heart of the Father. A God who has made us stewards of his lovely and bountiful vineyard, who asks us to be as generous with others as he's been to us. Can I imagine a God whose grace and mercy extend beyond my passion to want to fix and repair stuff around me and people around me, and that maybe his mercy and grace is capable of doing something beyond my wildest imagination. Could I imagine a God who would confront a man born into a merchant family in the Italian city of Assisi, a man who was so attracted to adventure and moved by the romantic tales of knights that he became a knight. He's got it all, power and privilege. And somewhere along the way, this man, riding on his horse, confronts a leper and overwhelmed by a divine impulse, overwhelmed by the love of God, the mercy of God, he steps off of his horse. He shares his coat with the leper. He kisses the diseased man's face and something happens. He's captured. Everything changes. He begins to reimagine his life in light of the love of God. Maybe. I wonder. A life where my selfish desires, my father's wealth are no longer there. A beggar for the sake of Christ who inspires thousands to walk away from worldly success and join a movement that sought to renew the church of the day. You know, it was after that experience that he comes by a dilapidated church in San Damiano that he hears the voice of God say, Francis, repair my church, which has fallen into disrepair, as you can see. I want to clarify this, that it wasn't, that repair wasn't just about rebuilding walls and a structure. It was about an imagination that the love of God could accomplish more than, than all the powers of man. That the chief cornerstone, if I, I, I partner with him, and the abundance of his possession versus my earthly possessions. I, I could begin to reimagine 
my life and what it could do in the lives of those around me in a world defined by authority, systems of power and privilege. Jesus reveals authority is about restoring. It's about wholeness to a broken world, to broken people, a place where the promise and the provision of the landowner is tangibly seen and experienced and felt and known. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Amen? Just imagine. Beloved, I, you know, as, as I preach this message, part of what stirs in me is when we have places like our partnership in El Salvador, the reason I believe that's like such a bullseye is this very reality. It's like, okay, Lord, we're living in a place of abundance, but we need to be taught again a different system. So it isn't about how much we accumulate to send into somebody's bank account. It's a, it's a challenging, it's a continuing to put in front of me, oh, yes, Lord, refresh my imagination again. I live in a world surrounded by a whole different system. Help me, Lord. I want to invite us this morning. Would you guys stand with me as we close in prayer? Um, let's close with this prayer together. And then I want to invite us to the table um, together. Let's pray this prayer together. Holy God, you love justice and hate oppression. You call us to righteousness and not exploitation. Give us generous and loving hearts and eyes to see the splendor of your reign that we may live in your truth and honor and praise you for the transformation of our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen. Lord, as we hear your words, Jesus, Jesus, the chief cornerstone that you've come to build a, 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 a habitation, a place that's so different than anything what we have seen or known. Jesus, we want to come again and surrender to your structure in our life, that the love and the mercy of heaven would be revealed in real time. Lord, we need help. Oh, God, we need your grace. We need your eyes. We need your ears. So as we take of this, we proclaim not only your life and your death, we proclaim, Lord, a whole new possibility. Could it be that the life of heaven could be seen and known in us? Lord, we want to say yes. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we confess we've missed the mark. We've fallen short. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we're truly sorry and we humbly repent and ask for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us that we would delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and to the honor of your name. So I'm going to invite you as you come, those of you who are on the call, we invite you to take something there that you may have. And then we're going to close in a word of prayer together. If you came prepared to give, we again say thank you if you just leave it in the box there. But uh, would you just come as you feel led this morning?
our Father, Almighty God, Abba, Father of lights, in the heavens, filling all of creation with your presence, inhabiting the 